0: Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjay Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjay Gall.
1: Hello, and uh, welcome to CTN. To learn more about the show, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. And today's topic, doing what matters most during chaos. So we know today we have a chaotic environment. We have the pandemic. We had the geopolitical and social upheavals. We have seen all possible flavors in the last few years, and it doesn't seem to be stopping. But then what has that done to the businesses? They, the business models have been disrupted. They have been fundamentally changed. Businesses had to pivot in many cases. So that in in total, we can... Summarize as a one word chaos. But then in order for a business to be able to, you know, sustain and stay uh, in existence and be profitable, what does it need to do? It should perhaps focus on sustainability, cultivate talent, and fundamentally operate with a purpose. And all along, Technology, which is emerging technology and many other areas like digital, you could use to transform and accelerate growth wherever possible because now technology has reached a point that it could be infused into the DNA of the organization and literally shape and form how business operates, how it creates value. So, How are organizations doing all of this and not getting stuck in the chaos, not getting left behind in the chaos? What are they doing so that they can do the, whatever matters most and they stay focused and do what, what matters most during these chaotic times? To discuss that, I have Teresa Springman, Chief Information Officer with LiveBridge Health. Hey, Teresa, how are you?
2: Hey, thanks for having me. I'm great.
1: Great to have you. So, uh, Teresa, I kind of set the stage there. And uh, I, I became a little philosophical, it looks like that I'm talking about purposeful existence. We're talking about people focused and be good to the planet. All of these things have been discussed. and they of course, look good on of somebody on the podium talking about it, etc. And many organizations do exactly that. They give lip service. And these areas are not getting the desired attention. And, and what what the hypothesis is, if you specifically work in having a purposeful existence for a company, you know, help me develop your people and focus on sustainability, perhaps those are the key ingredients of that recipe, which will help sail us through these chaotic times. And even if there is more chaos down the line, that's, that's going to be our savior. But... Do you think first of all, let's let's see if you if you agree with that hypothesis. And if that is indeed the case, why on earth organizations are not paying attention to these areas? What's holding them back?
2: So that's quite a bit to address at once. I you know, I'm gonna speak directly to purpose. As you mentioned, I'm with a healthcare organization, and what we've observed as we've all seen the almost wacky employment situations where people are walking away from long-term employment or making very big personal pivots in their careers. You know, healthcare is no different. And as we um, really subscribe in nonprofit healthcare about being committed to purpose, we have actually seen quite a bit of transition where when that purpose didn't exist, um, the workforce moved on. And I think many of my peers are seeing that in their space. So I think purpose is very, very important that you touched on. I know it's relevant in our organization. Um, as we feel as though we've had the pandemic, the supply chain constraints, um, really continual change coming at us, it's really regrounding in purpose that got us through. You know, in the, in the dark days of, of what we have most recently come out of. We were just tactically firefighting and trying to keep our head above water, um, trying to do what mattered most. And for us, that was for our patients and our communities. But as, as the um, waves parted, if you will, to your point about sustainability and about, um, frankly, you know, making sure that our, our tactical posture during the, the heat of the moment didn't stand in the way of of a strategy and understanding what would be over the hill for our organization. Um, That became very clear as the the pandemic slowed. Um, But then, as you mentioned, it was really just um, (laughs) kind of displaced by by a few more um, additional waves, as you mentioned, of either socioeconomic or political or supply chain things that have specifically impacted technology. So I am going to have to say that in our organization, purpose has really driven what has mattered most in this era of continual change. Um, But if we lose sight of the other elements that you brought up, um, I think it's fair to say that we as an organization or as an industry are going to lose long-term advantage. Just can't operate that way forever.
1: So, of course, you know, because you're coming from a healthcare background or healthcare organization is what which you work with, the purpose part is, in a way, it's it's a given, right? That's how healthcare organizations are even formed. So that's actually something which is going very well for you because that's how the organization is. But there are many others, say a manufacturing company or a financial services company. They are after the next quarter. They are after the next Whatever wave that they can ride, and when there is a continuity that they are looking for a profitability, they are not looking at talent. Or I'm not I'm not going to grossly generalize, but but many of them would just take strict measures to make sure that they survive and or show profitability in the next quarter versus a sustained existence in business as well as doing something good for the planet, if you will. So what is holding organizations back? Is it the greed, would you say, or is it that uh, DNA was never allowed to be formed?
2: Oh, that's insightful. It, you know, I think some of it's exhaustion. Uh, I, I think some of it is the organization's risk profile. You know, I think we're in an era these days and everyone's heard about, you um, examples of ransomware and, and cyber attacks, not only in many industries and verticals, but of course in healthcare, it's really challenged us to look at our organizational risk profile. And it, you know I think um, organizations with insightful leadership, and are not just riding the wave, but they are with intention um, assessing their organization's risk profile against their desire for profitability, expansion, etc. Um, and they aren't allowing themselves to just fall prey to circumstance. Again, that's an organization with intent. I think many are, are still in, in an exhausted and reactive state. So I, I think you're going to see winners and losers here. And those that either aren't tactically addressing kind of the, the firefighting situation may lose in the moment. But those who don't mm, adroitly pivot to understanding when they need to be looking at uh, workforce investment or sustainability and and commitment to other important social missions, they're the ones who I think in the longer play are going to be putting themselves in harm's way. So whenever
1: an organization or an individual, it actually applies to both, are unable to demonstrate that what is expected intuitively in terms of how they would react or respond to a situation, either it's because of inertia or it's the inability or the intent. These are the three things why something which someone is supposed to do, they don't do. So if you take the organization's context and there is chaos and there is uncertainty, if they're not able to do what they're supposed to do, like what we are proposing or hypothesizing Do they not understand it? Is the intent missing? Or they simply don't know how? I mean, we we have this situation where organizations are supposed to embrace the chaos and still take action. So would you say it's primarily they are stuck, they don't know what they should do because they do not know what's going to come out and there is too much expectation of you having to produce positive ROI, no matter what you try, even during times of chaos when you really don't know, you don't have a crystal ball.
2: You know, I think those organizations that have innovation as part of their DNA and have um, more of a comfort of taking risk for greater reward are going to find themselves better positioned there, because that's a muscle they've exercised. They won't fall prey necessarily to inertia, Um, It won't be an inability or a lack of capability because it's a muscle they have practiced. The question is whether or not they're prescriptive, excuse me, um, with intent. You know, many of us can explain specific situations. And again, I'll revert back to a healthcare example where our um, organization was used to a physical delivery model. During the pandemic, a virtual delivery model where clinically appropriate exploded. We're seeing that pendulum swing back, but shame on us if we allow um, the complete reversion back to a, a, a single channel delivery system of care in the United States. So, you know, beneficially in my organization, that burning platform catalyzed the ability to stand up a digital care center and to really lean into the chaos, understanding that it could be messy and introduce risk. But again, I, I think for our organization, it's because innovation was part of our response. And yet I can appreciate and and I love um, that framework of inertia, inability or intent. And I think an organization that's stuck needs to really dig in to which of those three factors they're they're struggling
1: Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And Tressa, when we come back, let's talk a little bit about the first element which I mentioned, like operating with purpose. I mean, granted that in your organization, uh, you have this. And I did mention also uh, earlier that we will have uh, many organizations who do not operate uh, in that you know operating with purpose approach, and they are more profit-hungry. And let's assume they have the intent that we want to pivot. But how do they do so? Because this requires a fundamental shift all the way from top to bottom because that's what it's going to truly allow them to move. And can they suddenly become from profit-hungry to totally altruistic? What would that that morphing look like? What would that shift look like, pivoting look like? Let's talk about it more when we come back. Please stay tuned.
0: Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global com. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sun Joe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back. So, Tressa, when we talk about operating with purpose, we spoke about it briefly. You did. Say and and of course you're lucky to have to, to be in that organization which is built on that approach. But then there are many who are more profit-hungry or they are all about making money. Nothing wrong with that. It's a for-profit organization, so you should make profit. But then when you're talking about this as one of the fundamental, foundational building blocks of an organization will be sustaining and uh be profitable for the long haul, they have to pivot. But how does an organization pivot from a profit-hungry reporting to the Wall Street to doing good for the planet, good for their people, et cetera? cetera? If you were to come in in as a consultant into an organization, what would be your advice for such companies and how would you suggest they pivot?
2: You know, I think, Fundamentally, um, an organization exists to address a problem or meet a need. And so, at its most foundational level, um, whether the outcome is serving a community in a nonprofit uh, manner or, in fact, making money, um, the most fundamental bottom line is are you as an organization seeing the problem? Does it still exist? And are you meeting the need and expanding upon the need in order to sustain your business? I, you know, I think that's the most fundamental question. I it, um, w- w- let me let me give you a reverse example, which is in nonprofit healthcare, we now have a lot of disruptive entrants who have very for-profit models: Amazon, Walgreens, CVS, Google. Um, They all see what their virtual care and their virtual platforms can bring to a care community. And so we've got, um, in our organization, a response to this is the reverse. We aren't pivoting necessarily from from a profitability to altruism, but in order to sustain ourselves, we're considering joint ventures in the for-profit sector. We've got to be able to adapt and adopt if we're gonna be able to survive. So perhaps that's not um, in the direction of the example that you sought, but from my own experience, it's an an example in our organization where we have literally an RFP on the street for a virtual care platform, and we are aggressively seeking for-profit entities for um, a joint venture. In order for our ability to learn from them, and for us to create additional diversity in our balance sheet, that again um, needs to get regrounded. That there is a need in our community, and that there is a problem to be solved that we can share.
1: So interesting in your example, profitability became the trigger,
2: right? Or, or, or not only
1: profitability, but existing or are sustaining a business or in the very existing of business, existence of business, or I mean, at the current level became what was at stake. So that's why such shift was done. So would you say a message that we are directly or indirectly sending out to the world is, hey, doing good is good, but what moves is profitability? Is that the message or could we still see hope in the idea that you might be building a lo- making a lot of money, but there is still value in you thinking differently for your existence for the long haul and and what I call is a making a bigger impact and actually matter, not just make a buck matter as an organization. Is that not trigger or motivation enough? Or is not you it, know, is it all a motivation at all? Or you know, company?
2: I, I think it depends on to whom you're asking that question. You know, I would say from the majority of my team members, the associates in my organization, um, you know, as long as they have fair and equitable compensation, purpose matters. They've chosen to be part of an IT organization that day in, day out is actually changing the care of a community. That's very intentional. So purpose does matter. You know, as as you perhaps move up the pay scale, I can't speak to that as much. We don't have to answer to uh, shareholders in my organization, so we don't have that pressure. But I can tell you that equally important with innovation is the ability to um, reinvent ourselves and to continually reimagine the work we do in more cost competitive ways, that creates um, additional capacity in what we're able to do. And for me and my budget, it provides additional dollars to reinvest in the future. So, um, you know, I, I, I think if we were to look at our workforce, if we were to look at sustainability, um, I think there's tremendous value in in people believing in what they're doing counts. Um, We've seen it time and again. So I I think in the long run, that's something that you can't discount.
1: You know, I've also seen, and this is a, a, a quote I usually use, is money is not the biggest motivator, but lack of it is the biggest demotivator. Which means that if an organization makes just about enough money or an individual makes just the right amount of money, what they feel they should get, hopefully that is a good match there, then the real motivator becomes these things that you just mentioned that operating with a purpose or them growing as professionals. You know, those hygiene factors, if you will. So the yeah, message. Yeah, I couldn't think, agree more.
2: I couldn't yeah, exactly. Agree more. Right? Yeah. And we're, well, look. We're seeing that with the nursing shortage in the United States right now, which is there are bidding wars going on everywhere, getting nurses who are willing to move around to move around. And the dollars being thrown around with this are crazy. But having said that, that remains only a small percentage of the population where profitability is top of mind because the rest... Of the industry acknowledges that as long as I'm being fairly compensated, purpose is more important than profit.
1: So, now with that said, like we spoke about, you know, operating with purpose, and there are ways for us to be able to so-called inject that into an organization, or at least in leaders, leadership's head, and so that in the ivory tower or howsoever the decisions are made or the tone of the organization is created, we are able to make a dent. The next thing comes is sustainability, which could be economy-wise. It could be environmental uh, approach to sustainability. You know, there are different flavors for people, for society, for uh, environment and economy. So that's where the sustainability dimensions exist. So when you talk about those dimensions, what we are looking at is most organizations are focusing value for their shareholders, and customers, but then we want them to do good for the environment or for the people in general, not just their employees because they will do they will do better work for them and produce more money for them, but generally towards the society. Like operating with purpose is one thing, but this is, again, to matter beyond just filling your own tummy. How do you go about doing that? How do you introduce that in the culture of the organization, but even more so in the in that board or in that executive team? So they start setting the tone for the rest of the organization.
2: Yeah, I, I think it speaks to the fundamentals of an organizational culture, as you've inferred, Sanjay. You know, it's a continual rebalancing of what you can afford to do and what makes sense to do. And um in healthcare, many many organizations remain driven by volume, so it's an each's game: how many chest X-rays, how many ABGs, how many tests are being done. And you know, um, the reality here is that in the majority of the industry, there's a tremendous amount of waste and of over testing. So, from a healthcare perspective, that sustainability is really an organization saying what's best for the patient as opposed to what's best for our pocket. And they are oftentimes in conflict with themselves. And so you really need to get to the fundamental fabric of an organization and speak to what their commitment is and how far and how fast contributing to these higher measures are going to be for that organization. Otherwise, if they're just left, to um, any form of informal direction or informal influence, Um, an organization won't be purposeful in in really making sure their brand is authentic as it relates to what it's giving back to a community, to society, to the environment, et cetera.
1: Let's take a quick break, listeners, and I'm thrilled to inform that we also have reached Stephen, who's the vice president and chief information officer from St. Luke's. Health system, who has just joined us, and uh, hey, Steve Street, how are you?
3: Very good, thank you. Sorry to be late for this.
1: Oh, no worries about. I mean, we, Teresa and I, were chit-chatting on the, you know, the the bigger things we all should be doing, right? Operating with purpose and sustainability, etc. And we'd love for you to give us your input uh, once we come back. How about we just get your input to get all of us all of feed on how read you're oh. thinking about operating with purpose and sustainability angle, which organizations should be following, but in many cases, we don't see them following. And what do you think if you came as a $5,000 an hour consultant, what would you have recommended (laughs) to the rest of the world? Okay, so please stay tuned listeners, we'll be right back.
0: CIO Talk Network with Sunjoke All at ciotalknetwork.com You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Joke All. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back. So, Reed, now that you've joined and Tristan and I had spoken a little bit about uh, in order for an organization to do what matters most during the chaotic and uncertain times, the ideas like operating with purpose and focusing on sustainability, these are the two areas I touch Now, with your journey, whether at your current organization, St. Luke's, or at your past life, what do you see are the common denominators or the core fundamentals which, when utilized, allow a company to operate with purpose, or at least shift to that where most of them are otherwise profit, hungry, if you will, and they have to matter for that, they have to do these two things. So what works, what doesn't work? What has been your finding so far in learning?
3: Yeah, you know, I would say there's not a, a hospital or a health system out there that doesn't have a, a mission and a vision that you can't attach to or doesn't just sound great and look great on paper the further i get in my career and what i've really kind of honed in on during this pandemic experience is it really is about the people Um, when i think of the risk facing our health system i put workforce risk kind of in that top right quadrant of of impact and likelihood and this this whole COVID experience has been such a unique pressure test right and The results generally kind of across our country have been mixed and so what we what i focus on with my team is just really making sure they understand that the idea of of our talent of our people being our most valuable resource that's not just a catchphrase right that's not just a moniker to put uh, at the bottom of a poster but it truly is kind of core to how we operate Um, i i think that it's it's interesting that this this last year in particular has been a uh, a challenge in terms of people that are generally aligned in how they view the world, having some of that alignment be be, be challenged by some of the, the choices that have been made. So as a system, we made the decision back in July that vaccine, the COVID vaccine would be a condition of, of requirement for employment. And that has been a, it's been it's introduced some challenging conversations within our internal staff. And so trying to lead people through this idea that unity doesn't mean that you can't approach it as unity means you have to agree with me. You can have unity and still have differing views on, on fundamental things, but there has to be a, an openness, a vulnerability, a humility to, to having that conversation and respecting that people may arrive at, at different decision points. And so when I think about what's most important for us in the future, it's that focus on our people. And it's helping people navigate through both the immediate challenge of COVID today, but also knowing that there's going to be some PTSD in the months to come. And there's been potentially some fractures in relationships or trust or friendships. And you have to acknowledge that and you have to be focused on how can we lead people through that and not just lead people through that but be better for it and be better positioned because ultimately knowing how to navigate through this and knowing how to achieve that unity even when there's differing kind of views that's going to be fundamental for how effectively we're going to care for the people and the communities we serve so for me it, it always comes back to people uh, i tell my team all the time i don't i don't lose sleep at night worrying about cybersecurity about our data center, about the health of our applications. Not that those things don't occupy space in my mind, but what keeps me up at night, what, what gives me up in the morning is thinking about how are the folks on my team today? Like, are they equipped to deal with the challenges that they're going to be faced with? And am I doing all that I can to snowplow and block and, and create a path for them to do that as effectively as possible?
1: So Tressa, based on what Reed mentioned and he brought up a good people component to it, but do you think do you think if we tell them, hey, you can do what you want to do so we can agree to disagree, which is the right kind of freedom of uh, way of how somebody expresses their views. But then who should become the Pied Piper so we all take them in one direction because if they are all going in different direction, isn't that we spawning chaos? in the first place, internally within
2: an organization? You know, interesting. I think what I heard is that um, as leaders, we need to make the space very safe for um, the sharing of disagreeing views and to explore together um, how to more effectively get that unity. I, I hear what you're saying. We ultimately, as leaders, Always need to take the unique perspectives of a diverse workforce and align them for a common purpose, right? I mean, that is leadership. So, whether the environment is chaotic or not, which um, has felt certainly that way over the last couple of years, um, just really authentic leadership is exactly as said, which is. We, we've got to create sufficient space for people to be comfortable sharing dissenting views and, and working through our differences. And, it, you know, there's an old adage in certain circumstances where you, your people change or your people change. So, you know, for those for whom, and, and I think the vaccine mandate is, is a really phenomenal example because it's something we're all struggling with. No one wants to be told what to do, but bar none almost everyone who gets admitted to a United States hospital does not want to be cared for by people who they believe aren't protected by the virus. I mean, it's really those um, collisions of fundamental beliefs that we're we're navigating through. So, um, yeah, you know, again, either the people change or the people change. And in certain circumstances, um, sadly, they are stepping away from prior industry work or from prior contribution in I in, in my organization, and I'm assuming um, that's what, what um, my peer here was expressing as well. And, um, you know, I, I can't state it any more um, importantly, especially in our industry. When you take the people out of healthcare, you really have nothing left. And so, that is um, a fundamental and essential element to allow the chaos to exist, but as a leader, create a, a, a space of safety and a way forward for them and to lead.
1: So to build on this, this actually reminds me of a book that I read, uh, Leaders Eat Last. And I think this is by Simon Sinek. And in that, he gave an example that in in the you know d- defense services, right? Army, Navy SEALs, et cetera, what they are supposed to do is really very strictly follow uh, orders and or what is being told by the superiors. But at the same time, they are groomed to, instead of focusing on themselves or their own well-being, they are supposed to be focused on well-being of their peers or people who are working with them. So Reid, coming to you, the defense forces see more chaos than we can ever imagine. And, And the regular non-defense services or the regular civilian population, they saw this chaos and this is totally uh, shocked them and, and we are struggling with it. Do you think some of those principles which are tried and tested in a different environment could be brought here where like you mandated vaccines for no... Without vaccines, you are not allowed to work, or that becomes a condition of infection. So that was a mandate. There will be some human and cry, but people will listen, and hopefully you'll tackle that. But at the same time, when we do performance appraisal, interestingly, we only do performance appraisal of that person for him or herself. We never do it in context of how much did they care for somebody else or putting somebody else's interest above theirs. Do you think there is a fundamental shift required in the way we even tackle our people?
3: Yeah, and so I think I'll take the the, the first question you asked about, are there principles in, in military operations that could apply or that we could learn from Uh, in a setting like ours, it's not a military operation. And I think the answer is yes. So I, I certainly am familiar with the phrase leaders eat last. The phrase I like is leaders speak last. So I spent some time in the military and one of my commanding officers taught a very important principle to me by word and also by example, when he was in a meeting if time allowed and sometimes time doesn't, but if the situation allowed, he would always ensure that he was the last person to speak because otherwise, if he were to speak early in a discussion, it might make it difficult then for someone who had a differing view or someone who was advocating a different position to speak up. They might feel like that would be insubordinate or there wasn't space for it. And so that is a principle that has served me well and in particular around this issue of the, of the vaccine mandate. And so as I've met with multiple members of my team who had different feelings about this, I, I was very clear about my position. I was supportive of it. I think the vaccine is proven to be safe and effective. I think it's a benefit for the community. I think it, it, it is a, a support for our frontline staff. It preserves our capacity for care. And so by, by By stating that, but also then allowing people to have the space to share their opinions, um, it it created avenues to have unity, even when there was maybe misalignment in fundamental outlook. The other thing that does is in those moments when there is a time critical nature for a leader to say, look, we've, we've passed the point of discussion, we have to act, here's what we're going to do. Those around you are much more inclined to embrace that and follow when they've had other opportunities historically to be able to speak their mind and have their voice heard.
1: Let's take a quick break, listeners. Uh, when we come back, Tressa, why don't we build upon this whole people thing and talk about cultivating talent? So, one of the approaches that we uh, always take, in at least in the, in the standard talent development or people development, is we look at the roles we have and we develop uh, a career path for them and put them in those job categories and roles, et cetera. But rarely do we do fit for purpose profiling and or we allow a person's strengths and talents to really blossom by giving them an environment and to some extent tweak what the job they should end up doing so that you get best of both worlds. You get the maximum output from that individual and also, you get your work done. But at the same time, this person when is is, is this person is going to give inputs which you want to hear, so that you're cohesively uh, better team. And also, when they execute on the orders given, which they're supposed to follow. In both cases, you got the most motivated and the most talented and the most competent person in your team, individually and collectively. How would you? make that happen because so far human resource individual lineup businesses and technology all of all of them have done talent development but it is more corporate role first and try to fit that person into that role versus father other please stay tuned listeners we'll be right back and we'll this time
0: Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global you are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back, Satresta. So Should you, if you were to put yourself in that role where which is created for you and then bring whatever talents that you bring, but you are kind of being uh, force fit into a role, would you prefer that in IT or in line of business, or would you rather have your innate talents recognized, see what job needs to get done, and consciously, all people, your Supervisor, your HR, the organization design, structure, etc., is all aligned so that you blossom to the best version of you that you can be. It doesn't happen today. Why not? And can it be done? If yes, how?
2: Well, you know, I I think when um, a new associate joins an organization, um, that is part of the journey that that is fundamentally the easiest. It's, as you've mentioned, the blossoming and the growing um, of both the organization and that individual so that um, you do cultivate their innate talent. And as a leader, you're able to assess and, where possible, flex the organization if possible in order to meet um, the different needs of, of that individual. It, you know, I think to me as a leader, it, it really is important, and I insist on this on my own leadership team, that um, to a person, they know their people. They know them on a, a personal relationship, um, and they're planful, and they um, have a, an abiding interest and understanding of how that individual sees themselves, um, where they would like to be, what… Um, dreams and aspirations they have as a long-term performance play, what they would like to do in the short term, and to make sure that opportunities exist for them to experiment and raise their hand in ways to stretch themselves. I I recently um, invested in a personal coach for myself, and my career isn't just starting. (laughs) I guess – I would hope it's not near sunsetting either, but you know, she she gave me some real words of wisdom. She said, "Listen, your entire career, you have been focused so hard on minimizing the weaknesses that your competency profile has has provided you in order to keep growing your leadership capability." I think you should just focus in and double down on those superpowers you have and do them very, very well and forget trying to fix the other things. That hadn't even occurred to me, but it's because she fundamentally took the time to understand where I stood, what was motivating me, what was getting me out of bed, what I was interested in, and I really think that cultivating talent specifically comes down to knowing the individual desires and aspirations of the folks on your team.
1: So, Reid, what would you do differently if you were given a carte blanche on fundamentally shifting how you cultivate talent to uh, Tressa's point is focus on your strength and strengths only and allow the work happen in a way so that the best form of work gets produced by that individual talent who is being utilized first?
3: Yeah, I'll just start by saying I could not agree more with uh, Tressa. Um, There's a book I've read recently called The Nine Lies at Work. (laughs) which has been just great. Mm -hmm. And one of the lies is that the best people are well-rounded and it's meant to be a bit provocative. Like, obviously it's not saying you don't look to improve upon areas that you can grow and to further develop in, but the fundamental premise is that people are spiky. They're not rounded and that uniqueness is a, it's a feature of the human condition, not a bug. And so as we've discussed that as a leadership team, Uh, It's been a point of discussion and a point of conversation with with our entire department in that don't feel like if you have a strength that somehow, if you always rely on that strength, you're doing something wrong or that you are somehow uh, minimizing what you contribute to the organization. Like the strengths you have, the the natural areas of interest that, that draw you there, Focus on those, pursue those. Uh, we'll help you with developing other areas that make sense and that augment. But like, don't do not um, uh, not take advantage of a natural strength you have because you feel like you've got to be well-rounded and develop in an area that's not a natural area of expertise for you. And so, in the course of that, we've had some really great nuggets of, of example kind of shine through our organization. And we've had people that have kind of raised their hand and said, look you know, this isn't really my role, but this is an area that I really enjoy and I think I have a natural skill set in. And so in the course of that conversation, we've been able to carve out roles that are specific to someone's natural strengths and they've grown and developed, which is one of the greatest experiences you have as a leader is when you see somebody flourish as you support them and kind of give them a little bit of a boost. But we've also directly then benefited the entire organization as their strengths and talents have been used to further our agenda and to uh, allow us to expand work in a way that we wouldn't have envisioned possible without their strengths.
1: So, Reid, if someone was allowed to blossom in terms of helping have them focus on their strengths and you also give them the job which they can best do, does that automatically prepare them for handling chaos individually and collectively so that it rolls up into an organizational competency?
3: Uh, I think so. I'm a a very glass half full kind of guy. But like entropy is just the nature of life. Order is always going to dissolve to disorder. And we shouldn't necessarily try and fight that, but just recognize it and accept it. And then understand that we can use our strengths. And if we have historical experience of using those strengths, then we don't necessarily approach that chaos with fear or trepidation, but rather with excitement and with confidence born by, hey, I've, I faced a situation before that I had no idea really what I was getting into, but I was able to navigate through it using my strengths, relying on peers. Uh, absolutely, I think it prepares them to handle the immediate needs, but also future events of chaos that will come.
1: Last question for you, Tressa. Uh, or maybe even for you, Reed, just give me one phrase, 10 words or less, or one word, if that's what you to use. Is that one thing you would do as a leader to fix in you? You've already told me that you, you you told all of us that you use you using a personal quote, but what's that one thing you will fix in yourself, which will allow you to be better equipped as a leader to help organization and its people do things which matter during care?
2: Wow, I think you know. I said that uh, I was coached to focus on my superpowers. You know, I think we've learned and seen that resilience is key. It seems to be the new competency out there that that really allows people to survive and thrive in chaotic situations and be okay, flourishing in ambiguity and moving through changes. So, for me, it's continuing to be personally resilient to example that. And to look for ways to encourage and and um, create space for for those that we work with in order to become more resilient. Because I don't think the current state is going to change.
1: Reed, ten seconds. Give us a word or a phrase that would be your thing.
3: Never let a problem to be solved become more important than a person to be served.
1: Beautiful. Thank you so much again, Fess and Reed, for sharing your insights about how organizations and its people and its leaders could come together and do some things new more or different so that they start doing what matters most during the chaos. Thanks so much again.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
1: And listeners, please connect with us on social media, subscribe to our podcast. Once again, thank you for listening to CTN. This is your host Sanjog All signing off till next week. Take care and God bless.